the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Judges. Don't ever underestimate what God might want to do in using you. Sometimes we write ourselves off thinking that we could be of no service to the kingdom. But, you know, that's exactly the kind of person God wants. is somebody who really thinks that they're just an ordinary person. Because God loves to do extraordinary things through ordinary people. Why? Because then he gets the glory. So he sees a guy like Gideon he says, you're my man. And despite the fact that Gideon didn't think he was... God loves a humble heart. When you aren't prone to giving in to pride or arrogance, there's no limit to what God can do through you. As you look at the life of Gideon today with Pastor Gary, you'll get to see how mightily God moved through someone who thought of themselves as the very least of all the people around him. He didn't think he was worthy, and God chose him despite how he thought of himself. Would God choose you based on your humility? Would he see a heart of Gideon in you? At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Judges, chapter 7, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Judges, chapter 6 is where we left off. I'm going to summarize a little bit of chapter 6 before we get into chapter 7. And so let me just, for the purpose of bringing us up to speed, if you're new to our Bible study, particularly in regards to the book of Judges, let me just let you know this cycle of sin that existed in Israel at this particular time. This is why the book of Judges was written. You have, if you start at the top of the cycle with me, Israel serves the Lord. They honor Him. They obey Him. They love Him. But then, unfortunately, they fall into sin and idolatry. They become influenced by the foreign pagan nations around them. They start to adopt uh, some of these foreign gods, particularly uh, Baal, which was the god of the Canaanites. Asherah is the female counterpart to Baal. And so Israel falls into idolatry. When that happens, then God basically says, you don't want to live for me, then fine, if you want to live like these foreign nations, I'll let these foreign nations come in. And uh, then you'll cry out for me. And so that's what happens. They get oppressed by their enemies. Then they cry out to the Lord. And then God raises up a judge. A judge is not some, you know, legal officer of the court, as we would think of a judge. These are military leaders that God raises up to give oversight to the nation. 
the Hebrew word is Shoftim. The book of Judges in the Hebrew Bible is called Shoftim. It means judges after the list of the judges that appear in this book that God raised up. And so then when a judge comes up as God raises up a judge and gives leadership and calls the people back to repentance and back to seeking God, that's what they do. And so they are delivered and then they serve the Lord, but only for a time. And then they get back into the cycle. And so in the book of Judges, we see 12 different judges named. Now there are a couple of more outside of the book of Judges. In the book of 1 Samuel, you have Eli and you have Samuel who are also judges. But in the book of Judges, there are 12 that are mentioned. The ones in capital letters are the ones that were considered more major among the judges. They had uh, more of a major role. They get more press coverage in the book of Judges than do the others. But the one that we're looking at, who actually happens to get more coverage than any other judge in the Bible, is number six on the list, and that is Gideon. Or he's number five on the list. He's Gideon. He uh, has chapters six, seven, and eight about him. And so... Along those lines of who he is, his name in Hebrew means hewer, as in one who cuts something down. He is also called Jerubbaal, which means let Baal contend. I'll remind us of that in a moment. And that name is given to him after Gideon destroyed his father's altar to Baal. And then also, as I mentioned, Gideon has the most written about him than any other judge. When you look back at chapter 6, and again, I'm just going to summarize things in chapter 6, the Midianites are the dominating enemy at this particular time. They join forces with the Amalekites, and the Bible says in chapter 6, other eastern peoples, and they come against the Israelites. The Midianites have overtaken the land, they have destroyed crops, they have stolen food, they are oppressing the Israelites. And so at this particular time in Israel's history, the Israelites are scared, they have retreated, they are hiding in caves, they are hiding anywhere to get away from the Midianites. And one of these guys who is hiding is Gideon. He's just an unsuspecting guy. He doesn't really, you know, want to be in the public spotlight. He's not like, you know, running to be a judge. As we encounter him, he's threshing wheat in a wine press, which obviously would not normally occur. You know, you would crush grapes in a wine press. Why is he threshing wheat in a wine press? Because a wine press was hewn out of the ground. So he's down low. He's trying to thresh wheat out of the view of the Midianites. So he's, again, trying to, you know, be discreet here. He's afraid of the Midianites. So he's threshing wheat. When the Bible tells us in chapter 6, that an angel of the Lord appears to Gideon. We find out this is no ordinary angel. In fact, a lot of times in the Old Testament when it says the angel of the Lord with the direct article the, it is a reference to an appearance of the Lord. The Lord actually comes and visits Gideon. Now we know this actually happens to be the Lord because if you glance back at chapter 6, when Gideon realizes he's been in the presence of the Lord, it says in verse 22... Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. If you notice there in chapter 6, verse 22, when he says, Alas, O Lord God, God is in all caps. 
And when he says, for I have seen the angel of the Lord, the word Lord is in all caps. This is Yahweh Adonai. This is the Lord. This is no ordinary angel. In fact, to substantiate it further, the next thing that Gideon does is he builds an altar in this place to the angel of the Lord, who's really the Lord himself. And he calls it a covenant name. He calls that place a covenant name of God, which is Yahweh Shalom. The Lord is peace. That's there in verse 24. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, the Lord is peace. Jehovah Shalom or Yahweh Shalom. And so God calls Gideon to this task of being a judge. And again, Gideon didn't want to be. He has this dialogue with God there about how he's the least in his family, which is the least among the clans, which is the least among the tribes of Israel. He gives God every excuse as to why he should not be a judge. But God calls him a mighty man of valor because God often sees us not for how we see ourselves, but for how he sees us and how he wants to use us. Don't ever underestimate what God might want to do in using you. Sometimes we write ourselves off thinking that we could be of no service to the kingdom. But, you know, that's exactly the kind of person God wants. is somebody who really thinks that they're just an ordinary person. Because God loves to do extraordinary things through ordinary people. Why? Because then he gets the glory. So he sees a guy like Gideon and he says, you're my man. And despite the fact that Gideon didn't think he was. So Gideon wrestles with the Lord about this calling, and he ends up having three questions that he asks of the Lord. And here are his questions. Uh, And I'm not going to go over all the answers because you can go back and listen on the teaching library as to, I covered all these things. But his first question was, if God is good, why are bad things happening to us? This is a common question that most people still ask today. Gideon's situation was that the Midianites were oppressing them. They were hiding. The Israelites were afraid. Why, why God are, are these bad things happening to us? It's a common question that humanity has wrestled with for all of time. So we covered that. His second question is, how could God use me? You know, I seem to be an insignificant nobody. I don't really understand how God could possibly use me. We talked about that. And then the last question that he asked, which is not a direct question, but he intimates this question, and that is, uh, how can I know God's will? And so he goes through this exercise at the end of chapter 6 with uh, fleece from sheep, and he puts it outside, and, you know, he goes through this exercise with God. You know, one day, Lord, cause the fleece to be wet from the dew, but the ground around it to be dry. And the next day, reverse it. Let the fleece be dry and the ground wet from the dew. And he puts God somewhat to a test. Now, God obliges Gideon in this regard to help Gideon know that this is God's will, that God is calling him to be a judge, that he can go and lead Israel this particular time. But, you know, don't think you got to go fleece a sheep and put it out in your yard and put God to a test. We have something now that we call the Bible and the Holy Spirit. And so through prayer and discernment, you can understand the will of God. But I talked specifically about how to understand God's will last time. So again, I don't want to repeat all that. You can go back and listen to the teaching library. But at this point, what happens is now Gideon has asked his questions. He has gotten somewhat of a resolve now. And he understands that God is calling him to this task. And so he sends word to four of the 12 tribes of Israel. We don't know why only those particular four. His own tribe to be one, Manasseh. And he also puts word out to 
Manasseh, Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali. That's the tribes that he calls to help him go fight the Midianites. So he sends a messenger out to these tribes, say, every male 21 years and older, if you want to fight, come join me at a particular location. And the location is going to be the topic of our study today in chapter 7, which is the spring of Gideon, Gideon's spring, or it is also called in Hebrew, Ein Harod. For those of you who have gone with me to Israel, it's one of our favorite places we stop and have this Bible study. This is somewhat of a cave that is located at the base of Mount Gilboa. And, you know, interesting, Gilboa is where Saul and his sons were killed by the Philistines on Mount Gilboa. Gilboa is from two Hebrew words, gil meaning happiness and boa meaning rushing. When you think about the rushing water that comes out from underneath this cave, this is a source of happiness because water is a scarce thing in Israel and particularly in this time. And so Gilboa means happiness of that which is rushing. So like the water coming out, like this is a happy location. And so Gideon puts word out, meet me at the well or the fountain or the spring of Harod. Now, so Ain means well or spring or fountain. Harod in Hebrew means terror or fear. And this will be a location where the fearful will be separated from the courageous. So there's interesting, you know, reasons why things are named as they are. This place, you know, called Enharod, because this will be a location where a bunch of fearful people will leave the scene. And so this is our location as we get into chapter 7 now. We're going to find that 32,000 men from those four tribes of Israel meet Gideon here at this spring that is named after him. And so take a look in chapter 7, verse 1. Then Jeroboam, that is Gideon. Again, Jeroboam means let Baal contend because back in chapter 6, one of the first things that God told Gideon to do was to destroy the altar that belonged to his father that was built to Baal. And Gideon destroyed that in the middle of the night. The next morning... The townspeople were mad. Get this. The Israelites were mad that an altar built to a false god had been destroyed. They should have been celebrating. They should have realized this is a time for revival. They understood that Gideon was the one behind it. They said to Gideon's father, go bring out your son so we can kill him. Kill him for destroying the altar to Baal. And Gideon's dad had kind of this tactful diplomatic answer, and this is what he says. And you can't really tell if he's trying to stand up for his son or if he's just, you know, trying to, you know, play it safe and be politically correct here. This is what he says. He says, guys, listen, he says to the townspeople who want to kill his son, guys, listen, listen. If Baal really is a god, Baal can contend for himself. So you don't need to go killing Gideon because Baal will just fight for himself. Baal will contend for himself. It's Jeroboam. So they nicknamed Gideon Jeroboam. So that's why he's called this in chapter 7, verse 1. Then Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and camped beside the well of Herod. This is that location, the spring of Herod, the fountain or the well of Herod. So that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill of Moray in the valley. That's about four miles away. So Gideon is gathering his troops about four miles away from the camp of the Midianites. 
Verse 2, And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many, too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. Gilead is another name for Gilboa. And 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. So that's how we know that he starts with 32,000. 32,000 Israelites, able-bodied fighting men from four tribes of Israel, show up at the spring of a road. They're ready to fight. And God says to Gideon, you got too many men. Now, we're going to find out later that the Midianites number at least 135,000. 135,000. We're going to find that out in chapter 8. So... With 32,000 fighting 135,000, God says, you got too many. And you got too many because if you were to defeat this larger army, even though that would be a difficult task, 32,000 against 135,000, you might steal the glory from me. So Gideon, you got to send some of these guys home. The first thing that Gideon is allowed by God to do is just to say to the men, if anybody's afraid, go home. And 22,000 go, I'm going home. 22,000. They decide they're going to go home. They go home. So the ones who are left are the real fighting force. You got 10,000. Well, keep reading. But the Lord said to Gideon, this is verse 4, but the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Bring them down to the water and I will test them for you there. Then it will be... That of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, the same shall go with you. And of whomever I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. Okay, so God's saying to Gideon, I'm going to separate out of the 10,000, I'm going to separate the ones who are supposed to go with you and the ones who are not. And this is how he separates them. So, verse 5, so he brought the people down to the water. This is Gideon, he brings the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, was 300 men, but all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. Okay, now... When we go to the spring of a road on, on our trips to Israel, we usually demonstrate this. So just use your imagination because there's no water here. I'm not going to put my face in it. But the posture basically is this. You have some of the 10,000 men who would get down and scoop the water with their hands, cup it, and bring it up to their mouths and drink. While other guys would get down on their knees and actually face plant into the stream and drink water. Okay, you got the picture here. So the ones who are cupping their hands and drinking water like that, they are referred to here as the ones who lap water like a dog. Now, sometimes people get this story reversed. You got to look very carefully at the language here. The ones who cup water with their hands and bring it up to their mouths are the 300. 
And those are the ones who are separated, but those are the ones who are compared to lapping the water like dogs. Look again at verse 5. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps from the water with his tongue, as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth was 300 men. So those are the ones being compared to a dog. Now, it seems almost reversed because somebody who would get down on their face to drink directly out of the stream would be more like what a dog does. But the Hebrew word for lap is yolach. And yolach is the sound that dogs make when they are lapping water. So you hear, if you have a dog, you you know all of that, okay? So the noise of a dog doing all that would be more audible if you're cupping the water, okay, versus if you're planting your face in the water and just sucking it right out of the stream, okay, a little technicality that probably has no real importance other than this, God separates 300 out of the 10,000, 9,700 guys go home. Out of the 10,000, 9,700 guys go home. You're left with 300 who have lapped up the water, cupping it in their hands. There's been a lot of discussion. You can read different Bible commentaries. Why did God choose to distinguish the men in this way? And so there's all these different kinds of theories. One theory is that the men who kind of crouched and then cupped the water up to their mouths were more alert. They're like, you know, they're not on their face. So those soldiers who are more alert are better fighting men. That's one theory. Another theory is the guys who got down on their knees and drank water directly out of the stream, that's the same posture as the Baal worshipers. And that perhaps it's distinguishing the ones who worshipped Baal from the ones who did not. All kinds of theories. The fact is, we don't know. The truth is, it could have been just very arbitrary that God decided this is the means by which I'm going to separate the 300 guys I want. I mean, I wonder if, in fact, that was God's complete intent was just like, all right, the guys who draw water up to their mouths, those are the ones. And meanwhile, theologians are like, well, I think that means because they're more alert as soldiers, or I think that means that the ones who were dealing are the ones who were Baal worshipers. And all the while, God's probably up in heaven going, oy vey, I just wanted to distinguish the 300. (laughs) There's no real like secret hidden meaning here. Sometimes we want to find what's the secret hidden meaning. Maybe it's just God chose to get 300 guys this way. That's it. So we don't fully know. But what we do know is what ends up happening. 300 is the total army that Gideon has to fight with. Again, 135,000 Midianites and Gideon's got 300 guys. How do you think you're feeling if you're the leader right about now? You're really nervous. You're like, wow. I hope this is going to work. But, you know, obviously this is creating a great dependence upon God. And I'll have something to say about that at the end, but let's just continue to look at the text here. And so in verse 7 it says, Then the Lord said to Gideon, By the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Now please take note of that. God has made a direct promise to him right there. By the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. 
So 9,700 guys go home. So the people took provisions and their trumpets in their hands. Now, the trumpets, don't think of, you know, brass. The trumpet was the first instrument I learned. I didn't, I didn't really enjoy it very much because I didn't like to read music. Just give me some drumsticks. So I played drums. That's how I, you know, musically. But these are not, bra- this is not a brass instrument. This is the shofar. This is a ram's horn. So they each got a shofar. They each got a ram's horn. They took one in their hands, and he sent away all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, and retained those 300 men. Now the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. And it happened on the same night that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into your hand. Okay, that's the repetition of that promise that God said to him. It's already done, I'm giving you the victory in advance. I'm going to give you Midian into your hands. Thank you for joining us today here on Cornerstone Connection. You've been listening to a message from the book of Judges. It's a great reminder to the kid inside us, to the human flesh that is a bent to fulfill its own desires. Whatever we do, someone always sees it. Nothing goes unnoticed, especially those things we wished had been overlooked. Isn't that the role of a parent, though, to discipline the behavior of sin? Jesus is the same way with the Israelite nation and us. He doesn't allow sin to go without consequence. But He's also lovingly fair and desires each one of us to return to Him. Maybe you felt like that kid who's gotten off track with God. We can't be perfect, but we can pray that we'll have the strength to do what's right and follow in God's footsteps. Are you struggling with that? Would you like someone to pray with you? If so, please email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Cornerstone Connection is a ministry located in Leesburg, Virginia, committed to sharing the love of Christ with you through sound biblical teachings that meet you where you're at. To find out more about us, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. That website again is cornerstoneconnection.cc. Thanks for listening to this edition of Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.